Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. This week, I'm so excited to be joined by Dennis Sheeran, the Director of Student Achievement in Wecon Township School District, presenter, blogger, podcaster, and the author of Instant Relevance and Hacking Mathematics. Dennis, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It's exciting to be here. Dennis, as you know, the show is centered on leadership development. I would love to hear your personal leadership journey and how you became the Director of Student Achievement. Great question. Uh, my personal leadership journey began uh, like a lot of uh, leaders' journeys, I think, uh, which is without a quest for leadership at all. Uh, I didn't think I'd be in this position, but I'm, I, I am now. I started teaching high school math in 1999 in Illinois. And I taught for 13 years, everything from algebra one through AP courses. I taught AP statistics, which was totally my favorite. And I was just doing my teaching thing and living my teaching life. And uh, during that time, I started coaching. I coached cross country and track as well. And after a couple of years of being an assistant coach for track, the head coach position opened up. So I was pretty interested in that. And I took that position on. And that was kind of my first jump into leading. And uh, the high school, I was at Lake Forest High School in Illinois, and I had 150 boys on my team alone. That's just the boys team. So I had six coaches I was working with and those boys, and that's a leadership experience, you know, uh, from managing those kids and managing behavior and uh, practice and everything to actually going out there and learning about your competition, learning about what's going on and planning how you're going to strategize for track meets to give these kids the experience that they need from a training perspective to grow and the experience that they need to win and feel good about being on the team and growing. And so that kind of developed my capacity as a leader. And in fact, after a couple of years, we won our first ever conference championships and sectional championships and started our state medalists and started taking down the records off the record wall, which was totally my goal as I was there. And then in 2012, my wife and I decided to move back from Illinois to New Jersey. So I grew up in New Jersey. My wife lives in Connecticut. So we have our, all of our extended families out here. So we figured at that point, there were some other things shifting in my teaching world and in the things in our lives. And so we're like, you know, let's get back closer to family. And in order to make that equitable, I had to take on a leadership role. So when I came here, I looked and said, let's start looking for administrative positions. And I started as a, a math supervisor and worked my way over to directorship in Weehawken now, where I'm you know, overseeing a lot of different things from state testing to a math department. But uh, that's what brought me here. In your transition from a teacher to a director, what was your largest misconception as you began your directing experience? <laughs> it's funny that you should ask that. I, as a teacher had an experience with my leaders that they were much they were a lot like instructional coaches and instructional leaders they were helping me learn how to be a better teacher be a better relationship builder with my kids um, grow in that capacity there wasn't a lot of direct oversight i got observed like once every two years literally you know but i was it was all about personal interactions and uh, when my wife said are you sure you want to be a supervisor not a teacher anymore my response was like if i can be for teachers what i think i've been for students then yeah, I do. Uh, that, that I think it's worth it because I think I can make a greater impact. And my biggest misconception came across when I moved to New Jersey in 2012. And in 2011, they had accepted the Common Core, legislated the Achieve NJ Act, which is the teacher evaluation process, which means that now literally like you have to be evaluated this many times. You have to have state test scores going into your components. We've adopted a new curriculum that you have to implement. And I walked into that and they said, okay, write the curriculum, start observing everybody three years, three times in a row, make sure that they're qualified because if they're not, we have to fire them. And it's like, I'm like, whoa, it was not an instructional leadership role at all. And so my biggest misconception was literally the job that I would be doing. <laughs> and so in your experience, what leadership skill was the most difficult to develop? 
That's another good question. I think one of the most difficult things for me to develop was an understanding of another teacher's perspective when I came in as a leader, because I knew what I liked. I knew the way I liked to teach and I knew what I thought was effective for my own personal experience. And as a young leader, that pervades what your vision is when you walk into a room. So when you see another teacher doing something different than you do or something different that you thought was effective, it's difficult to see them and say that might be effective too. And that caused probably a lot of struggles for me early on because I was evaluating from my own particular frame of mind instead of a broader one. And I'm always curious, as an educator, what is one area you want to change in education? Well, there's a couple of areas. Uh, so if you don't mind me jumping in on a couple of them. Uh, <laughs> one of them, I, I am, as a math educator and as a mathematical thinker and problem solver, I'm wrangling with school schedule a lot. Um, I really don't find that the way our days are arranged are effective at all. And so I'm seeing different schedules in different places. Literally one town over from where from Weehawken, the kids are getting twice as much time a day in math. Like, how is that going to work out for my kids? Because it's not working out well. Like things like that, where the, the calendar and the schedule are not matching the availability of information, technology, video, learning, all the different things that we could use to streamline time and maximize teacher effectiveness. And so that's one big area. Another, I guess as a young teacher and as even as a veteran teacher, I never thought I would have said this, is grading. The way we graded kids, I always kind of felt hard about. I'm like, we've got to do it this way. It's percentage. It works out. It's, it's great for them. But I'm growing much more to towards a K-12 standards-based grading, competency-based almost version of this. And so I'm starting to build a K-12 laddered standards-based grading model where teachers are effective at identifying proficiency at all of the standards that were prerequisite to their courses. So potentially you could see a kid come in and he's in geometry and you're like, wow, this kid's like factoring like a maniac when we're doing this stuff. It's great, but he was only approaching mastery and factoring in, in Algebra 1. I can mark him as mastered and mastered now. So we can see in a timeline where a kid occurred it. So they can leave school with a college or somebody looking at them saying, look at all the things they can do and when they learned it and that they continue to grow. And I think that's a bigger deal than, than when we have kids sitting back you know, comparing grades where one district says, oh, you got all A's. And that kid would have gotten D's in the next district over. <laughs> like, what is it? what's an A, you know? So uh, that's another big thing that I would, I would love to see change. And those two can probably go hand in hand, how we use the schedule and how we use our grading to help students learn and display mastery and move forward. And as an instructional leader, how do you help your teachers grow in their knowledge and skills? As often as possible, I spend time with them. I try to see what they're what they're doing, what they're thinking, and I can. And the more people I see, the more time I spend with them, the more snippets and and bite-sized snacks of things I, I observe. And I think, wow, that's interesting. This is interesting. This is something that this person might really value from learning, and I can either share with them or connect them with teachers. And I think that one of the major ways to help them grow is to approach them a lot like the way I I want to approach my kids and find out like where are you. And where do you need to go from here? And I tell them that before. There's actually one of the chapters or one of the stories in, in my book, Instant Relevance, uh, that talks about my son playing a video game. And he thought that he, he was playing a video game on his iPad, but he thought it was like Minecraft. Uh, but it wasn't. It's just a little video game he was playing. And so I was playing it, and he thought I could join him. You know, he's like, oh, you can join me in this game. And I'm like, oh, I, I can't join you in the game. He's like, no, 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 Dad. Just meet me at my best, and then we'll go together. Meaning like meet me at the highest score that I've gotten and from there we'll move forward and you can help me get a better score. And that metaphor stuck with me. It was as a, as a teacher to students, why are we all meet, starting off at ground zero instead of saying, why don't I meet you where you are now and help you move forward? And then as a leader, 
that has to be modeled in the way you approach teachers. Like they're in different places in their careers and in their lives and in their understanding. And if you can meet them at their best and move them forward from there, then everybody's moving forward, but on the sliding scale and in a different place. So I think that's one of the things is to listen and to learn and to see what, uh, what a teacher's natural passion is and try to grab onto that and help them move forward. What are some characteristics that you believe every leader should possess in a similar role? Well, my role is interesting. As the director of student achievement, my role has a lot of disconnected time. I oversee state testing that has literally nothing to do with spending time with teachers. You know, it's all just data entry, literally. And I oversee a lot of different aspects of things like that. And so I'm recording time more than I'm recording time with teachers. And that's difficult. So as a leader in a similar role as mine, I think you have to do what I did, which was look at a calendar, look at your calendar, and play the uh, the rocks, pebbles, sand game. I don't know if you've seen this before, but uh, the metaphor is if you've got a big jar and you want to fill it and you got some rocks and you got some pebbles and you got some sand, if you put the sand in first and the pebbles in second, you're not going to have any room for the rocks. So if you put the rocks, which are the big important things in your job, in first, then you'll have room to slip some pebbles in there and then some sand will all filter in and fill in all the gaps. So you've got to make the big important things a priority. And in any leader's role, people are the big important things. So I've got to get find a way to get my calendar set up so that I make sure that I, I lock in time to be with teachers, be with people, even just visit them and even just be out. The classic, you know, the best ability is availability and visibility. Like those are the things you want. So after I do that, then I can say, all right, well, what time do I have left now to set up AP testing? Or what time do I have now to, to fill out that spreadsheet or analyze that testing data so that I can report back to teachers versus if I get first into pulling up testing reports and looking through information, I might find myself seven hours later down a rabbit hole of, of data analysis and I never got to talk to a person and I didn't even need to be in the building. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's uh, my advice for somebody in a role like mine. What is one initiative you've implemented in your district that you're extremely proud of? I would like to say that I've shifted some of our, our math teaching model from a very traditional to a much more math workshop guided math model. And that's a lot like if you have an experience with reading writers workshop, the goal is to just spend time with kids in a one-on small setting, you know, one on three, one on five. And that is making a big difference in the time people spend with their kids and teachers who have been teaching for 40 years or teaching for three or four years, like they're starting to see their own particular passion for teaching rise again. Uh, we have an interesting schedule. I told you my scheduling conundrum before, where in our one of our buildings is a three through six grade building. And we have fully departmentalized that building, which means third graders, like eight-year-olds, are rotating period by period to different teachers. And they're all on the same floor, but they're rotating period by period. And they have like 45 minutes per class. So it's not easy for a kid to process like that. And then to get to a classroom after all the rotation and just sit there and listen for a long time, it's just not effective for use of that time. But uh, effectively getting them immediately moving into station work, center work, individual guided time, and working with teachers has, been, has had better effect. And I think I'm proud of making the best use of the schedule that we have like that. And for those who are listening that are starting their leadership journey, what advice do you have for them? Most people who are starting a leadership journey are starting it in a new school. Some move up the ranks in their own, but you really need to listen and learn that playing field. If you're in a new building, you've got to walk in and listen to what's going on. You might have your own ideas for initiatives, but if you try to just implement them, that is immediately a top-down initiative. Nobody knows you. They don't want to do what you want to do. And it's more than just creating buy-in 
you know, for your initiative, because you can sell, you know, if you're a good salesman, you can get people to do what you want to do. And you better be a good salesman too. But really spend some time listening and understanding that full landscape of that building. There are hidden nooks behind the hills. There, there are valleys. There are people who are rock stars in the classroom, but terrible when it comes to reporting information. But reality is you have to understand all of that. And you can't just reach the rock star at the top of the mountain who likes screaming out how good he is about things and say, I got this great idea. I want you to do this. Well, that guy stinks at doing stuff. He's just really good at you know connecting with people. You can't have him do things and you thought you could do it and it's going to fail. So get to know it. And if you're in the same building, then you'd better learn how people view you now because some will view you as, wow, this is great. I'm so glad this person is there. And others will view you as a traitor. And you have to understand that version of it and really listen and learn and then realize how you can systematically create a situation where you can roll into the initiatives that you want and grow them and grow support for them and support that staff. In addition to your director position, you speak at conferences, blog, and you're very active on social media. How did you find your voice beyond your district? This position came after the voice, which is interesting. So I had a math supervisor position, 6 to 12, in a district. And that was when I became introduced to Twitter. That was about 2014. And I'm like, you know what? A lot of people are out there. It seems like a good thing. I'll try it. Some people are saying that it works out. So I jumped in. And not too long thereafter... I was connected with a woman named Lindsay Lipsky. I don't know if you know her. She's a, a dyslexia specialist. And we were just on a chat, whatever, you know, a Twitter chat back and forth. And we had a back and forth commentary about who's a puzzle on the back of a candy box, you know. And we were literally playing Twitter, playing tic-tac-toe back and forth on Twitter, you know. And she's like, this has been fun. You should write, you should write about this. I'm like, well, I don't know where to write it. She's like, just start a blog. I'm like, oh, people do that. Or sure. So I started a blog about it. And it was my first post. And we played tic-tac-toe, and my analogy on that one was from the movie War Games, if you remember that one from the 80s. Uh, and my first blog post was titled, like, the only winning move is not to play. And that's just not true in the world that we're in. And in jumping into Twitter, jumping into that conversation, it totally reinvigorated my passion for learning and educating. And shortly thereafter, I connected with Dave Burgess, who, and it's just like a pirate group that are out there. And it wasn't too long before I was signed on to write my first book, Instant Relevance, which then played into people wanting to hear me speak about it and uh, getting out some more, which has been an exciting part of my world, which actually is also helpful. My district hired me in this position as a four-fifths position. So I actually have 20% of what would be a normal position off so that I can do speaking and consulting. I do a lot of, like I'm in other school districts in New Jersey doing math consulting and helping them implement curriculum, build their teacher capacity, uh, learn how to build relationships and agency for their teachers too. So that's been pretty uh, exciting for me to have the freedom to do that. Yeah, that sounds amazing. And for those that haven't had the opportunity to read your book, Instant Relevance, can you describe how this book may help our aspiring leaders? The book was written out of my first leadership experience because I had been in my own classroom doing my own thing. And when I became a leader, I just I had to obviously start observing other teachers. And as I observed, what I saw was room after room of groups of kids sitting there listening to an adult talk. And I was like, oh, my God, I did that to people. <laughs> like, like, this is terrible. These kids don't want to be here. And the reality of it was the kids would talk about something, even if it was yesterday's football game. They wanted to talk about it, and every teacher would be like, hey, hang on to that. Keep it for the hallway. You know, wait for later. Or they had some new fad or some new thing that they were talking about. It's like, oh, hang on. Forget it. Talk. We'll talk about that later. You got to do what I got to do. Today, we're going to talk about, you know, rigid transformations in geometry. I'm like, wow, they totally wanted to do that instead. And it started to change my perspective into 
how do we really make learning more relevant for kids without creating that world of what we call pseudo context, which is the real world problem solving section of every math textbook. It's not a real world problem at all. Oh, really? There's a ladder leaning up against a building and there's a fire on the third story window and you want to know the angle of elevation from the ground up to make sure. No, you just lean the ladder up so it reaches the window and then you get the person out. There's no, that's not a real world problem at all. It's fake context put onto a purely mathematical situation that required no context. So it turns that I started to see opportunities to extract learning from what people are really already doing and caring about. I started to write pieces about that and that turned into uh, the storyline behind Instant Relevance, which is really how to create relevant learning experiences from what you and your students are already passionate about. So for leaders, if you're reading this book or if your teachers are reading the book, what I have to say to you is be flexible enough so that when a teacher sees an opportunity to truly engage kids where they are, you can support it instead of walking in and saying, well, that's not in the curriculum lesson plan I expected for today. You know what? If it's not, it's probably better. <laughs> so like they thought of something last minute that it's going to go well. I mean, my brother is a first grade teacher. He's an elementary school teacher. And I just wrote a blog post the other day about how you know, in elementary school, kids are going to probably be cutting out snowflakes and hanging them in their room because it starts to be winter and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, don't just hand them this, this set of instructions that says, fold it this way, fold it this way, fold it this way. Now cut and enjoy. Instead, just hand them a sheet of paper and say, and say make, make a snowflake. Most of them will fold it and cut it and it will come out to be a square. And that's wrong because all snowflakes are hexagons. And I actually have a hashtag that I put out on Twitter these days called just hashtag snowflakes are hexagons. And I put pictures of products like Starbucks cups and all this kind of stuff that have the wrong shaped snowflake on there. And my brother had a lesson planned for today. And, and he tweeted me. He's like, I think I'm going to change my plan based on what you wrote. And the goal was to have kids use literally the design process. Hand them a sheet of paper, say make a snowflake, then look at it and say, you know what, kids, what's interesting is that snowflakes are actually hexagons, six-sided shapes. Try again revise it, learn from it. What feedback would you give somebody? Like, it's actually to go through the process until they could potentially come up with their own set of folding instructions that would create it, which is a much more in engaging learning experience for them than just handing them the instructions and having them cut it out so they could hang it on the ceiling. That's where we wanna look for those opportunities well, the reason it's super relevant is yesterday was the first snowfall in New Jersey. We had you know, seven inches of snow. I was stuck on the highway for six and a half hours to go 50 miles home. It's one of those times where you say, this is something that we all experience. How can we use it to learn from it? And I would say to teachers who are seeing my brother teach his lesson, good for you for using what these kids were thinking about and experiencing the snowfall to engage with learning. Instead of saying, ah, forget about that snow we had yesterday. Let's just talk about math. And from the book, you created your own podcast, Instant Relevance. What is that all about also? Exactly what I was just talking to you about, really. The, the opportunities that we see and we find both in a real world. So we'll give like some, some quick snippets of an idea that we just came across that would be a great thing to use in a, in a specific type of classroom. Or in general, those topics of like blended learning, leadership, uh, how we engage and inspire our teachers and students. And uh, we've had a lot of guests on. We're on our 10th episode coming out this weekend. So uh, you can find that on Twitter. You can follow us at Instant Rel. And uh, my co-host is Raymond Steinmetz, who is uh, big into blended learning. He's an instructional coach. And you can also find it on Anchor. You can just Google the Instant Relevance podcast. It's on all the regular podcast displays where you want to find it on Android or iPhone or wherever you listen. And in closing, what is the most enjoyable <laughs> aspect of leadership? I think it's the same thing as the most enjoyable aspect of teaching. It's the aha moments. You know, you just have a different, older, 
sometimes slightly more hardened group of students to work with, you know? And so when you see a teacher say, oh, wow, I did this thing. It was amazing. The kids really loved it. Or, you know, I brought these kids over to, to this guided math table and I was talking with them and I could really see that it wasn't that they couldn't do the math. It was just that they couldn't explain themselves clearly. So we worked on explaining ourselves. Like, well, then you learned the purpose for why we set this up the way we set it up. And so those same aha moments are the, are what are kind of that same valuable for a leader when someone says, I love this. And do you mind if I show somebody else? Because then you've crowdsourced your leadership. And so how can our listeners connect with you on social media? You can find me both on Twitter and Instagram at Math Dennis NJ. And my name is Dennis with just one N. So Math Dennis NJ. There's a Facebook instant relevance page you can look up as well. And you can find me online at dennisheeran.com. That's my blog, my website, access. I got a lot of lessons, materials, links, kind of fun stuff on there, as well as just my regular posts. Please continue to check out the Aspire podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes and share your ratings and reviews. Don't forget to use the Aspire lead hashtag as you continue the conversation on Twitter. Dennis, thank you so much for being on the program. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me.